0: Hello, and welcome to the B2B Lead Gem podcast for tech companies. My name is Jacob Lovenbrand. I'm the Managing Director of Bright Vision, as well as host of this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to create legendary category design for tech companies with nonetheless than the godfather of category design himself, who have written two books and several monographs on this topic, have shared stage with Barack Obama, as well as being a whiskey connoisseur, the one and only Christopher Lockhead. Welcome to our podcast, Christopher.
1: Jacob, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, this is an interview I look forward to, and I'm a huge fan of all your content, your books and so forth, and and of course, your podcast that you have been doing for quite some while now as well. So uh, really looking forward to dive into this topic. But for people who haven't come across you, Christopher, maybe you can just start out Telling us a little bit briefly about your background and what you do.
1: Sure. So uh, I started off my professional life as an entrepreneur. I got thrown out of school at 18 uh, for being stupid. I found out at 21 that I have dyslexia and dyscalculia and many of these what today we call learning differences. So at 18 years old, like many entrepreneurs, um, I faced a choice, a choice between a life of manual labor or a life of entrepreneurship. And so for me, in a very, very real way, becoming an entrepreneur was not about a way up in the world. It actually was a way out, a way out of a life of struggle. And ultimately I, uh, I, I sold uh, a company that I started to a, a US-based software company. I was born and raised in, in the uh, Montreal area of Canada. And, um, and I sold a, a, a boutique consultancy that I had in Toronto. To a U.S.-based software company. I went on to become the chief marketing officer of three publicly traded tech companies, and um, when we sold Mercury to Hewlett-Packard for $5 billion in 2006, HP became my favorite company of all time, and I retired as an operating guy. And then I took a whole bunch of time off. Uh, I I started with uh, two buddies, a boutique consultancy called Play Bigger. Ultimately, we wrote the book. And then after the book came out, which now is uh, five years ago, uh, I retired as an advisor and as a consultant. And today I'm primarily uh, a writer uh, focused on this thing we call Category Pirates that you mentioned. Uh, it's a newsletter and it's also an ongoing series of uh, books and audiobooks on Amazon. We have about 30 of them up already on different topics. And uh, so mostly today I'm focused on trying to make a difference at scale at, uh, through writing, and through podcasting. And what I believe, Jacob, is if you're lucky enough to make it to the top of a mountain, throw down a fucking rope. And so um, I'm trying to throw down a rope.
0: That's great to hear. And uh, an extraordinary story you have there from uh, being Simo, going advisor, and now content producer, and expert, and uh, also philanthropic guy who as you say <laughs> throw down
1: a rope that's great you know last also, year um last year with all of the 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 tragedy in the world uh my wife carrie and i we donated our entire income last year
0: awesome so great to hear and um i think that's so good everybody who do that for i mean people have been struggling for real last year it's it's not been uh, yeah, an easy one for, for many, many people around the world. So that's awesome to hear.
1: And, you know, lately um, uh, we've been disgusted uh, here in the United States with how the US has dealt with Afghanistan. And in particular, there were hundreds of thousands and, and candidly millions of people in Afghanistan who supported the US government and the US military for the better part of 20 years. Hmm. And our government has abandoned those people. And uh, we find that disgusting. And so recently we just wrote a very substantial check in, in partnership with a dear friend of ours to help uh, evacuate uh, people from Afghanistan and bring them to safety, because what's happening in Kabul right now is is terrifying.
0: Mm, yeah, that is uh, a very hard situation for them who, who has been uh, left behind. So yeah, that's that's very courageous of you. Awesome. And beside doing all these great things for for people in need, you also every now and then actually produce great content for marketeers, especially B2B marketeers. And uh, also since you're living just outside Silicon Valley in Santa Cruz, you have a lot of uh, assignments in the tech industry. And as you know, Christopher, we have a lot of tech marketeers listening to our podcast. So I know a lot of them have been working with category design as one of the themes or topics that on their palette as, as marketeers in B2B. But for beginners who haven't read your books or come across webinars or educations around category design, maybe we should just start out describing what's what is category, what's important to why it's important to work with categories and also ultimately hopefully become a leader in the category. Aka the discipline of category design.
1: Awesome! I'd love to do that, and uh, I I must tell you, it would make me extraordinarily happy to see uh, a a big breakthrough in Sweden, in tech startups. Uh, having spent uh, a reasonable amount of time in your beautiful country, and as we talked about before you hit record, having a uh, got gotten drunk with uh, on multiple <laughs> evenings with multiple Vikings, I have an affection for Sweden very much, and. And it reminds me a lot of my native Canada, but that said, okay. So category design, it's a management discipline. So it spans much more than just marketing and it is the design. It is the, it is the discipline of being able to design or create your own market category, which you can then become the leader or category queen or category king. in. And here's the aha. The first aha is realizing that most of what we get taught about entrepreneurship and about marketing is actually bullshit. And one of the biggest sources of bullshit is an undeclared, undiscussed, unconsidered, undialogued about context, thinking, or framework for business. And that, that thinking, that lens for business goes like this. What you need to be successful is you need to compete. That's what we're gonna do. And so we're Jacob, you and I, and we're gonna to get together with all our smart friends, and we're gonna create some awesome carbodingulator, and we're gonna disrupt fucking stupid word. We'll get to that in a second, the carbodingulator market category, because our carbodingulator is better, faster, cheaper, smaller, bigger, etc., than their carbodingulator. And we get taught this. So the first one is we get taught to compete in an existing market. And the second thing that we get taught is um, to build a better product. See, Jacob, if we could just, if, if you guys at Bright Vision, could just give the world a demo of our product, if you could just get people to see that our product is better than their product, we'll win, right? Exactly. And so there's these two big cults in business one's the brand cult we win by competing by building a better brand and two we win by competing with a better product and here's the aha when you study the greats when you do primary data science research to see what happens what you realize is everything i just said everything we get taught about that stuff is completely wrong. It is not what the greats did. It's not what Henry Ford did. It's not what Steve Jobs did. It's not what Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx did. It's not what any of those people did. And so that's the first one. The second one is, okay, so smart ass, what did they do? Well, they designed and dominated a whole new category. And when you do the data science research, and we did for my first book, Most marketers, Jacob, as you know, study market share. And market share is an important thing to look at. However, uh, up until we did the research, nobody had ever studied market cap in the context of the following question. What percentage of total value that gets created in a given market category goes to the leader? So if if you say value equals either valuation for private companies or market cap for public companies. So the total value of the company, then you take all the companies in the category and you add them together and you look at what percentage of value goes to the leaders. We did a study where we looked at every uh, venture backed technology company founded in the U S from 2000 to 2015. We gathered all of that data and that's the question that we asked. And here's the shocking result. On average, one company earns 76% of the total value as measured by valuation and market cap in a category. So the aha here is the company that designs the space is best positioned to dominate it. That's the first aha. The second aha is one of the other pieces of bullshit that we get taught, Jacob, is Oh, this is going to be a large space. It's going to its huge. There's going to be room for lots of people. We just want to be one of the successful ones. Well, that's not true. Google has no competitor. And in space after space after space, there's no competitor. One company earns the vast majority of the economics. And if you are a founder or an executive or even just a good uh, participant in that company, a good employee in that company... You're going to have a very powerful career, and if you're not, you are going to be like a rat on the Titanic.
0: Yeah, that is a great explanation of of uh, category design. Wow, and uh, that is astounding. Uh, to, to actually see that 76 of the category evaluation goes to the market leader. So obviously category design and becoming a category queen or king of your category is, of course, the ultimate goal. And, and I think that's something you really have highlighted and, and uh, done a great job putting research uh, out for. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. One of the questions here is, okay, now we know that becoming a leader in the category is really beneficial, it pays off, but it's also a hard, it's hard work to, to do that and, and hard work to, again, to, to to succeed with. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. And uh, you have written a lot of books on this topic, of course, and so forth. But um, if, we, if we take the cliff note version here, as the CMO, you or, CEO, you're hired into an existing company and the company is competing in a crowded legacy market. You know, you are one out of 25 providers of software doing something. Where do you start and what do you think you should start doing uh, when you come into that role? You know, and, and realizes this, this is a really tight market where I'm in.
1: Yeah, great, great question. The first aha is the category is the strategy. That is to say, the number one objective of a CMO, of a CEO, frankly, of the executive suite and the board and investors, is one thing. How do we design and dominate a giant category that matters? Because if it's a giant category that matters, then the 76% will be a very big number. Mm. So whatever you're doing in the company, we believe that's the lens to look at it through. And the way we sort of simplify this is to talk about what we call the magic triangle. So at a very high level, as a CEO, as a CMO, there's three things we're trying to get right. The right product, the right company, AKA business model, culture, all that good stuff, ability to scale and execute and the right category. And if we get all three of those things, right, that is to say, prosecute the magic triangle, we become the category queen or king. If we don't, we lose. And what most people do is they do two of those three things. They focus hard, particularly in our industry, on, category, on, on product because we believe in our industry that the best product wins like we believe in fucking oxygen. It's never even discussed. And uh, can I tell you a quick story about this, Jacob? Quick Absolutely. Quick so as you mentioned, I live here in beautiful Santa Cruz, California, which is about a 45-minute drive from San Francisco, and, and, or excuse me, from uh, San Jose and Silicon Valley. And we live right on the ocean, uh, a couple blocks just right here. And um, there's many things that are wonderful about living near the ocean. One of them is watching pelicans hunt. And, uh, you know, these pelicans are these giant, um, dinosaurs in the sky, right? And they have these incredible wingspans and they tend to flock together and they'll fly by you. Uh, like if you're standing up on the bluff, not necessarily on the sand, you know, they'll fly by pretty closely. You can really get a good look at them and they're incredible flying, uh, ancient animals. And what happens is they're looking for schools of fish. And when one of them sees a fish from above, they literally do this, do a 180 and dive straight into the water. There's this big splash. And then you can see in their mouths under their chins, you can literally see the fish in there and then they swallow the fish and keep going. And when one of them finds a school of fish, you know, if there's eight or 10 or 12 of them flying together, they're literally like watching dive bombing planes. Okay, now let's think about the following. Imagine you're a fish. Your whole life, all there is is water. You live in water, your parents live in water, your uncles and aunts live in water, your siblings live in water, and you guys hang out and you live in water. And um, the fact that you live in water is a given. And because you're in water your entire life and you've never been outside of water, you don't even know there's a thing called outside of water. There's just water. And then there are two seconds in your life where you learn there's a whole other way. There's a whole other world. One is when the pelican gets you. And the next second is when the pelican swallows you and you're gone. (laughs) So for two seconds in the fish's life, the fish realizes there's this whole other domain. So what happens for entrepreneurs and marketers is they spend their whole life believing what we got to do here, we got to generate leads, and we're playing a game called demand capture. That's what we're doing. And with the way we do demand capture is we build a great brand and we build a great product. And if we do those things, we will capture existing demand and we will beat our competition because we have a better brand and a better product. And then all of a sudden, um, a pelican shows up. And that happens over and over and over again. And so the fundamental question to ask is what makes us different, not better? And then why does that different matter? And if you build your business around that different, you make that your true north, Um, you will be different. You will become known for a category that you own and you will separate yourself in a very meaningful way. And ultimately that is the objective of category design is to be the company that breaks and takes new ground that present that, that establishes a, a vision for the future that is different, that solves a problem that matters in a new and different way. And as a result, customers flock to you the market comes to you and if you get that right pow you get to be uber Uh, you get to be google Uh, and if you don't get that right you get to fight for 24 percent of the opportunity yeah that's
0: great so uh (laughs) i i suppose that's why it's so um Important to actually reflect upon. I think a lot of companies just take it for granted. We're in a ERP system. We're a you know CRM system. We're this or that. We're we're living within a very defined domain, often defined by analyst companies like, Gartner and yeah, Forrester and whatever it's called. But but um, I think it's great. Uh, as you say, the opportunities are great to find alternative pastures, you know, find other ways to differentiate and so forth. So if you, you know, want to break out from the pack and try to prosecute the triangle and, and, you know, stand out, you need to find this other way. Where do you start looking for different? Where do you start in this process? Is it on the product, the company or the market or the customer? You know, where do you start of finding different ideas?
1: Start with the problem. Mm -hmm. not the product, not the company, not even necessarily the customer. Focus on the problem that you want to solve. Mm -hmm. And it turns out um, there's two kinds of problems. There's a problem that we know we have that gets meaningfully reimagined for some reason. And in our world, that's often because of technology. So a simple example would be Uber. Mm -hmm. The problem called personal transportation had been solved. We have bicycles, we have cars, we have public transportation, although we don't have that in the U.S. We don't believe in that shit here, but I digress. Uh, We have taxis, of course, we have limousines, et cetera, et cetera. So that problem had been uh, solved until one day, Travis is standing in uh, Paris and it's raining. Mm -hmm. And he's there with a buddy and he can't get a cab. And the smartphone has already been launched. And he says, how the fuck come? I can't press a button on my phone and have somebody come get me. Well, when he asks that question, he reframes the problem called personal transfer drugs, right. transportation, and category designers frame, claim, and name the category and the problem. So that's a known problem that we have that gets reframed in a powerful new way, and as a result opens the door to completely new thinking, a whole new category of, in this case, personal transportation, which today we call ride sharing. That's the category. Mm-hmm. The second example would be a problem we didn't know that we had. Now I, We can use examples outside of tech if you want, but um, I'll, I'll give you another tech example. Um, so I've been around for a while, right? I've been doing this for 35 years. And um, I remember very clearly the dot-com era. I was part of it. And I remember very clearly the launch of salesforce.com. Now, here's what I can tell you for sure, Jacob. In 1999, in a Gartner survey of 10,000 CIOs, when asked, would you move your data and applications out of your uh, data center to somebody else's, 10,000 CIOs said, fuck no. Benioff comes along and says the entire model of software is wrong. His mantra, his point of view becomes a tagline that we all, of course, know well, no software. He's the first software company to say no software. And he identifies a problem that heretofore nobody had been talking about, which is the old model of I buy software, I customize it and I run it and maintain it on my own. And when you deliver maintenance updates, I install those updates. And you may, may remember a day when, if you were gonna upgrade your SAP system, it was going to take you 12 fucking months to go from mm-hmm. SAP version three to SAP version four. Okay, and data centers, servers, all of these things, networks, security, all this shit, all this technology infrastructure is massively expensive. Benioff shows up and says, all that is fucking stupid. There's this new model. And with this new model, you don't buy software, you rent it, and you log on from a website. And that's all you have to do. And we're going to call that this isn't what he originally called it, of course, but we're going ultimately we're going to call that the cloud. And so in both those situations, you have two problems that are very big problems. In one case, it's a problem called how do I get from here to there? In the other case, it's a problem called the way we deploy, maintain, upgrade software is stupid, slow, and expensive, and somebody needs to fix it. One's a known problem, reimagine. and one's a problem that literally nobody in 1999, 1998 was thinking about. And virtually everybody at that time said Benioff was wrong and was going to fail. And we all know how the movie ended. And so where you start with category design is, what's the problem? Einstein famously said, if I was given an hour to solve a problem, I would spend 55 minutes on the problem and five minutes on the solution. And whether it's from a company building perspective, a product building perspective, or a marketing slash slash growth perspective, we all go to the solution we assume the problem most companies most entrepreneurs most marketers spend very little fucking time thinking about the problem reimagining the problem describing the problem evangelizing the problem we go to the solution and we forget the following just step back for a second listen to the words solution you can't want or buy a solution Unless you have a fucking problem. (laughs) So legendary entrepreneurs and marketers fall in love with the problem and they evangelize the problem because the bigger and the more urgent and the more strategic, the problem, the more time, money, and energy, people will invest in solving that problem. You can't buy a solution unless you identify with a problem.
0: Yeah, so true. That's really good. That's a nugget there. Um, we probably obsess way too little over the problems we solve and way too much over the brochures or the landing pages of the products that we try to push so that's that's a great uh, takeaway for all marketeers um, when you start defining when, when you have a problem I think this is something we can maybe build upon you know and try to expand out to category maybe and so on how do you know that you have strong enough point of view or you know category id or problem that is worth uh, betting the farm on uh, do you have any you know uh, scales or uh, how, how do you how do you see that when do you how do you identify a great category candidates let's so say
1: it's a wonderful question so other than what we just talked about of course so let's assume you've done that and you've really soaked in the problem and it's starting to get very clear to you. The first thing I would share with you is how do you feel about this? You as, as, as either the founder, CEO, CMO, company leader. And, cause this is, this is just my personal experience. Um, legendary category designers are missionaries, not mercenaries. If you just wanna go make money, There's simpler ways to go do that Mm. uh, called value extraction. Category design is not for people who are doing value extraction. Category design is for people who are doing value creation. So if you work on Wall Street, you are making money off of other people's work. You are extracting a pound of flesh for being a trader, Now, I'm not saying that isn't a valuable service. I'm not trying to be critical, but you are not creating net new value. You're taking a sliver of value created by somebody else. Mm -hmm. The same is true for accountants. The same is true for consultants. The same is true for lawyers, generally speaking. And I don't mean that in any shitty way. All those are important Mm -hmm. professions, but it is the entrepreneur. It is the creator. It is the innovator. It is the engineer Who is creating net new things. And if they do it powerfully, those things become valuable. And the aha here is that everything is the way that it is because somebody changed the way that it was. Mm -hmm. And the people who change the way that it was are the people who invent the way that it will be. And those people are the people who create massive new value going forward. And so to be a category designer, is to focus on the problem as we talked about and then say, am I obsessed with this problem? Could I work on this fucking problem for 10 years? Because it could easily take that long. Is this a mission worth investing my life in? Mm. Because as you know, Jacob, as an entrepreneur yourself, there will be many times where your faith will be tested in your vision and mission. And you'll be in horrible situations where where the easier thing to do would be to quit or surrender in some way. So we as entrepreneurs, we as marketers, we will be tested over and over and over again. And what for most of us, particularly those of us who are more uh, missionary oriented, what carries the day for us is our own conviction around the mission, around solving this problem. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would advise is try to leave it alone. Try to say, I'm not doing that and see what happens. Because the most successful people I know are the idea ends up possessing them. You can't fucking leave it alone. Category design is a 35 year so far project for me. I tried to leave it alone. I really did. Because before my first book came out, eight times out of 10, I would talk to people about it and they wouldn't know what the fuck I was talking about. And I don't know if you've ever bashed your head against the wall for 30 years, but sooner or later, you're like, well, I either need to stop doing this or get a new wall or fucking something. Uh, And so um, missionaries have no choice. So I would try to leave it alone and see, does this idea grab you by the throat or not? Yeah. And then the third one I would share with you, and this comes from my buddy, Brian Roberts, who's one of the greatest healthcare investors on the planet. He's with a venture firm here in Silicon Valley called Venrock. And one of the interesting things that Brian says is, once you fall in love with it, in this case, a problem, try to disprove it. Argue the other side of it. If you ever took debate in school where you had two teams and a topic, and A, you had to just you had to argue for it, and the other team had to argue against it, go. And then a great debate teacher will do that and say, at the end of that debate, switch sides. Same topic, switch sides. So my point is this problem, this idea. That you have fallen for you've fallen in love with like you would fall in love with a potential spouse that that goes from being something you can't you, you, you think about to something that thinks you so to speak it's got you now spend several days thinking about all the reasons why this is fucking stupid all the reasons why this is a waste of your time, all the reasons why this is a bad investment. Include your friends and family in the discussion, go look at analysis, go do some real research. And depending on how far you wanna go, bring in outside people to try to help disprove this idea, Mm. this problem. And so once you consider these things, all of a sudden it'll become clear to you, is this an idea worthy of 10 years of my life and if you can't disprove it and it won't leave you alone and one other thing i'll say about it if at least 50% of the people you talk to think it's stupid you probably have something
0: <laughs> that's the best uh probably the best test there <laughs> at least 50% think it's stupid that's that's a great comment so um what do you think is is uh, the hardest part deciding to actually double down on that? Or, you know, I suppose that if we're running a company and you have this idea, maybe we should go down this way instead and pivot or or do a major change on, on the whole company level, product level, and so forth, it requires a lot of energy. What's the what's the easiest mistake or what do you see companies? get stuck or struggle the most when they do these pivots, even though if the category design or the problem they're focusing on is really good candidate and probably should work, where, where do you see companies struggle?
1: It's a great question. So there's, there's sort of two places in particular at the beginning. Um, it's hard to jump off the high dive of the diving board. If you can't see the pool, Right, so there is a level of conviction and courage that one must have to take this leap. And there is even a higher level of commitment and courage and, 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 and feeling like a missionary to stay with it in the face of no results, in the face of a world that says you're insane. Uh, I just, uh, an entrepreneur that I'm working with who's in the, um, it's a technology company in the food space They just raised $55 million. The company's name is Cheeto. And uh, Nama Morin, who's the founder, she told me she got 55 no's before they raised that money. She kept all the emails. Right? So it takes a commitment. When you're talking to people who are supposedly the smartest investors in the world and you're Nama, and your company is trying to fight through a horrible recession where restaurants are going out of business nonstop because they've been forced to shut because of this evil virus that we've all had to deal with. That is a extraordinarily existentially threatening situation for a tech company that is in the food business, right? Yeah. Nama and her team, incredible team at Cheetah fight through this. They expand and modify their vision they get even clearer about what the, what their mission in the world is. And that is to uh, support uh, small local restaurants and having a legendary future. Um, she goes out and she finds a way. So, so having that conviction and commitment is really important. And you have to be willing at some point to jump off the high dive, not knowing whether or not you're going to find water. However, that said, uh, we just recently had a PhD on my podcast, Fall You're Different. His name is Ron Friedman, and he's written a great book. I highly, highly recommend to marketers and entrepreneurs called Decoding Greatness. And in a lot of ways, what his book is about is de-risking a big move like this. So, for example, we can learn from others. If I'm a SaaS software company, I should go read Benioff's book, um, I forget what it's something in the cloud. It's an unbelievable book, right? Yeah, and I should yeah. go, I should go read the books of legendary entrepreneurs in the tech, particularly in the SaaS business. Uh, my friend Sangram Vajri, who you just mentioned, his new book "Move" is an unbelievable new book. There's a lot of books in this space that have come out in the last few years that help, in particular, SaaS tech entrepreneurs. So I would go and educate myself. What did these legends who came before me do? How do I learn from their frameworks, their templates, their approaches? And then how do I innovate off of them myself? And then the third thing that you can do, we live at a time where you can A-B test everything. Now, I'm not saying that you should only build what the market tells you to build, but what I am saying is, once you get clear about your vision, your point of view around solving this problem, There's a lot of ways to communicate that. And the way you frame, name, and claim things really matters. Well, today on the internet, for a very small amount of money, we can test things. So we can take the same idea, and if we communicate it one way and get one result, we communicate it a different way, maybe get a very different result. I just heard recently some of the um, jury members in the George Floyd murder have come public and shared their experience and why they voted uh, guilty. And a very fascinating thing came out, which is, if the question is, did that police officer kill George Floyd, the jury was not in an agreement about that. So there. if that was the question, there's a high degree of likelihood, based on what I just heard on the news, that the jury would have come back and said not guilty. However, one of the jury members reframed the conversation and said, in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, the police have what's called a duty of care. So when they arrest you, they, you are now in their care and you have a responsibility to care for them. So what this juror said was, well, let's put to aside for a second whether we think he killed George Floyd or not. And let's ask a different question, which is given he was being arrested, he was therefore in the care of that officer whose name I'm not gonna say, did that officer appropriately care for George Floyd? And the answer to that question was fuck no, guilty. And so my point is the following. You can take the same thing, the same set of facts and change the context and get a very different result. And so I would argue to you that context is more important than content, even if that content is a software product that you're trying to market and sell. And so my point on the A-B testing is not so much uh, to ask the market what should we build or do, but to test different frames of your idea Different uses of language around the problem, the vision for the future, and point of view, and therefore solution. We can test that shit today for hundreds of dollars uh, on the, on the internet. And so my point is the following: On one hand, we summon the courage, we have the vision, we get passionate about the problem and making a difference for people around this problem. And then, as we go to even start building the product or start or launching our marketing campaign. Or whatever it is we can do some very thoughtful testing that gives us that lets us know what resonates and doesn't resonate and as we get more and more confident that a we're centered on a problem that matters and b we are beginning to articulate a point of view that effectively communicates that so that people have an aha like wow i get it now i I see this differently you know if, if you've ever said oh i never thought about it that way Someone changed your context. That's what category design fundamentally is about. And so on one hand, we have to have courage of our conviction. We have to be a missionary with a point of view around a problem, but we can test to see where there might be water in the pool for AB testing and de risk it. And we should, and we can like never before. And so it's this combination of big vision, big commitment. And listen, we don't have to be crazy. Let's try and test this thing, and let's see what comes back.
0: Yeah, awesome. That's so interesting. I think a lot of companies have, have used that methodology and uh, successfully deployed the model to, to uh, become leaders in new categories and, and define stuff that people haven't thought about before i actually came across a company i don't know if it was on your podcast or somebody else but um, a video recording software called loom i mean video recording have been around for ages but they defined video recording for personal asynchronous communication and that made a big difference for people. Yeah, maybe I can use video emails to just communicate to people, you know, instead of writing emails I always do or chats or Teams or Slack. But but a recording a short message over the Loom software and put it the link in the, in the chat there. And I mean, <laughs> in that quite tight space and and a very mature market from many perspective. They have now raised like hundred million in venture capital and is quickly growing. And so I think that's might be an example to what you just said. It doesn't need to be crazy. It's it's the core technology is the same, but they just switched view on which problem they actually apply the technology to. And, and uh, people got an aha, as you say. <laughs> so I think that's- Exactly right. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: and in that case, uh, we would consider that niching down taking a very, and this is an important thing for early stage companies, a very, very small sliver of a big thing. So to your point, all that stuff existed, video community, you could have, if you wanted before loom, um, uh, if I wanted to send you a video or vice versa, we, there were ways to do that. that not as elegant and so forth, but if we wanted to, we could do that. They made it very elegant. So from a product perspective, wonderful job, but. What they really did was teach you to say what you just said. What you just said to me is Loom's point of view. And Loom's point of view moves people from one way, I send a text-based email, to a new way, I send a video-based email. We call those FRODOS for short, from twos. And that's what legendary category design is about. Moving the world from the way it is to a new and different way. And in the case of Loom, they get an A plus. They're doing great by having done that. And now they have a platform to innovate from there. And if they are wise, they will rightfully expand the category and they will become the digital video um, email communication company. And we'll see, I have nothing to do with them. I don't know them. They weren't on my podcast. I, I know enough about what they're doing to admire uh, what they're doing. And, and you're absolutely mm. right. They And they are executing category design.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think they have probably used your playbook there. <laughs> but But just a thing like, defining asynchronous communication as at the theorem which really have caught on people like yeah asynchronous you know so yeah that's really great well i know you're a busy guy christopher you have a lot of stuff to to uh do today in the studio and participate in other podcasts as well as hosting your own so thank you so much for your time and all the insights and last but not least our listeners who i'm sure would like to dive into more of your content books, podcasts, etc. where can we send them christopher?
1: So i'm going to tell you that in a second. Can i add one more thing before we wrap jake? Yes, please. Okay. From the bottom of my heart, now is the greatest time in history to be a technology entrepreneur. We've never had the acceleration of new technologies and new categories like we have now. It has never been cheaper to be able to bring new innovations to the world. And what I would say to you as a result of COVID is the receptivity to different has never been higher than it is right now. And so my point in sharing that is now's the time for legendary marketing. Now's the time for legendary entrepreneurship. Now's the time for people who care about designing a different future to make a difference for others. Now is the time to step forward. We, it's the greatest time in history and the future needs you. And so for those of us who are in this industry, who love technology, who love innovation, who love bringing new things to the world. Now is our time and the receptivity to the new has never been higher. And I would argue to the, to you that the world has never needed legendary entrepreneurs and new innovative companies because that's where all the job growth comes from. That's where all the breakthroughs in humanity uh, come from. The world needs People like that more now than ever. And so I would just encourage everybody in your uh, sphere of influence, all of your listeners, and all of the tech entrepreneurs in Sweden, now's the time. So please stand up, go for it, and let's create the different future of our choosing.
0: Thank you for for saying that, Christopher. And that's so true. I totally agree. And uh, awesome, awesome way to end this very, very interesting interview. I have learned a lot. And I hope and think everybody (laughs) listening to this podcast will as well. So thanks for that. And uh, I wish you all the best, Christopher. But um, yeah, if we want to check you out, is it to your own website,
1: Yeah, go to Lockhead.com. Everything hangs off there. Or uh, if you like, CategoryPirates.com. But everything hangs off of Lockhead.com. Yeah, two H's, no K. That's
0: great. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I wish you all the best with your future endeavors, Christopher. And um, all the best.
1: Well, thank you, Jacob. It's been a real pleasure being with you. Bless you.
0: Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.